Good morning, church. God is good, isn't He? You know, we got a church camp, a retreat coming, and I couldn't help but think of a camp that I preached in or at uh, about a few weeks ago. It was Faith City Church. They had their camp in the same place, uh, the same locale in uh, Kampa, Grand Kampa. And um, it was an amazing uh, experience there because... Um, this church, when I was listening to this audio, uh, this video, in regards to the last time we were in, had camp in this place called Grand Kampa, it was about 11 years ago, all right, that long. And so much has changed over time. But this church has been going to this same place for camp for the last 12 years. How does that work? Can you imagine? You know? And so I asked the pastor, how does it even work? And every time when pastors get together, we talk about church camp, we talk about who are the speakers, we talk about uh, what are the campsites that are actually very good, reasonably priced, etc., etc. But we'll never fail to mention Faith City Church. There's a church Monica comes from, pastored by Pastor Samuel and his wife Connie. And they've been going back to this church, uh, this campsite for the last 12 years or so. Except for one year last year, they went to Malacca to a very nice hotel. And so during this year's camp, I was a speaker. Uh, so in one of the services, uh, the pastor asked, uh, how many of you uh, would like to go back to the, the campsite in Malacca? Raise your hand. Not one single hand was raised. I couldn't believe it. And then he asked a second question that actually blown, blew me apart. He says, how many of you would like to come back to Kampa Grand? Every hand went up. I look back, every hand went up. And it was like, wow, they were just cheering on, you know. So I said, what is this about Kampa? You know, then I asked the pastor later on, how do you do it? You know, whenever churches have camp, when we talk about camp, uh, people will say, oh, you all this place are no good, la. oh, you all that town, la. oh, you all this hotel, you know, so many complaints. But the pastor said this to me, he says that uh, we always promote camp as not a time for holiday. If you want to go for holiday, go for holiday at your own pace, at your own time, a choice of hotel or place, you know, where, where, where you want to go to. But it says camp is not a holiday. Neither you know, it is, is it you know, a place where you look for food. Jalan-jalan cari makan. That's not camp. It says camp is basically a place where you retreat. And the first time I heard the word retreat, I was taken aback because I was just a teenager attending a Methodist church called and in a youth group called MYF, Methodist Youth Fellowship. And this is we are going for a retreat. So I said, why in the world would a church want to go for a retreat? To me, my simple mind, retreat means going backwards. I said, the church shouldn't be going forward. Why retreat going backwards? I couldn't understand for the sake of my life. And then later I realized camp and retreats are basically a time where, you know, you retreat from your, your, your norm, your, your, your mundane, your routine, uh, from the pressures, uh, the busyness of life. Uh, so you take a break from all of that. You retreat so that you can give God the space and the time to speak into your hearts and into your lives. Now, I remember Pastor Irvin Rutherford when he sent his nephew over to Malaysia for just exposure in terms of culture and, and church life and so many other things, he actually sent him and wanted him to attend our church camp. I think it was in Kota Tinggi or Bukit Tinggi. I can't remember exactly where it was. And I could see almost the apprehension written over his face because he was going for a church camp. Never been to a church camp before. In overseas, they never had such a thing called church camp. So apprehension written over his face. And then when we reached the place... 
and I sent him to his hotel room and I said, this is your room. He said, you mean this is church camp? This is my room? I'm going to stay in this room for the next three or four days? I said, yes. Oh my goodness. All the while I thought church camp was pitching tents, no? And sleeping in tents. Now, some of you are laughing, but some of you probably have never been to a church camp before and you're wondering, what is a church camp? Are we going to pitch tents? No, no, not at all, all right? And so, I trust that you will attend uh, this retreat and make it an amazing retreat. Uh, then, uh, when I was preaching for this church camp in Kampa, uh, Faith City Church, uh, I met a couple and they took us out for lunch. Kampa was some very good seafood, actually. Not really Kampa, but... There's a place called something Tualang. Something Tualang or Tulang or something like that. Amazing, wonderful seafood. And the couple that took us out was actually the son or the boss, the younger boss of Kampa Grand and his wife. They took us for an amazing lunch. And what is more amazing was the wife is from FCC, married to this rich man. And you know what? They have planted a church in Kampa Town, just a few doors from, a, from the, what, what is that, the Taufufa uh, uh, shop, you know, one of the shops upstairs. And they are actually pioneering that work. And uh, so we met them, and to cut a long story short, you know, uh, I'm going to preach for them end of July to make some connections so that we can have some special treatment. In Grand Kampa. Always got a motive behind that, you know. But one of the things I love to do is just to go to small churches and bless them. And so, friends, we want to make this camp an amazing camp, all right? I text uh, the one in charge, uh, Brother Joshua from Faith City Church, who is in charge of the camp this year. And I asked him a question just a few days ago through WhatsApp. How many were there in attendance for the church camp that I preached for you all this year? He wrote back and says, 232 adults and 30 plus children. Amazing. It's just amazing. You know, there is such a thing as a power and there's such a thing as you know, a sense of dynamic or dynamite, uh, uh, the, the dynamics in, 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 in numbers. You know? And so we want to make this year's church camp as never as before. We always have 130, 50, 60. We never hit 170. It's a very large number already. But this year, we want to encourage every one of you as much as you can to make that kind of a commitment. Now, you may not know whether you can take leave or not. You may not know whether you, know, you have the finances or not. You may not know this. You may not know that. But you know what? Trust God. Believe God. You know, and set aside time and space you know, and, and, and allow God to speak into your hearts and your life. There's always the shift of atmosphere, shift of what God wants to do in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, in our careers, you know, and camp is a very special time where God speaks like no other time. And so, after service, I want you to go out and I want you to sign up and just trust God. God, I'm going to sign up by faith. I'm going to just believe you for the leave, for the finances, for this or that. You know, and then be sensitive to God. You know probably families have got four or five children or three or four children, you know, and probably it's very expensive for this to go to camp. And if you have the resources, you know, you just, just, just be sensitive to God. See, the church did not have to, to organize things. You, you just be sensitive to the God. You see this family, you, you know that they are deserving. You see them putting the time in the church. Say, brother, I want to bless you. I want to pay for one of your children, you know, for camp. Or no, or here's this amount of money, I want you to sign up for camp. 
No, let's be an encouragement one to another. Some say an amen to that. Amen. And that's not my sermon, by the way. Now, last Sunday, I spoke to you about the love of God. I quoted an anonymous writer who says that if I could give you one gift in life, I would give you the ability to see yourself through my eyes, for only then would you realize how special you are to me. I also spoke about how uh, God, when God sees us, he, he sees us with eyes full of love. And if we can only catch a glimpse of God's love for us and see ourselves through His eyes, you will realize how special you are to God. We talk about the Apostle John of all the apostles. You know, as he writes, he doesn't say, I, John. He always refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, if you do not understand the context, probably if someone comes to church, you know, a newcomer, for example, and he steps on the agape and you go up to him and you introduce yourself and you say, I'm Jane, you know, the disciple whom Jesus loves. Can you imagine introducing yourself like that? Or you say, I'm Kenny, you know, the disciple, Calvin. No wonder you look at me so strange. I'm Calvin, you know, a church member that not only the pastor loves, but Jesus loves. People say, you are strange. You are arrogant. No one introduces himself like that. And John wasn't strange. John wasn't arrogant when he says and wrote, when he wrote John and, and first John and, and the Gospel of John, he always refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, it does not mean that Jesus didn't love all the other disciples. He loved them all the same. All of them were his favorites. But yet John caught a glimpse of what the love of God was. He saw himself through God's eyes and he appreciated the love of God. You know, how God loves him so much. And that's why it was John who writes, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It was also John who wrote and says that no greater has love than has, no greater love uh, than this, that a man lays down his life for his brother, 1 John 3, 16. He also wrote, he says, by this we know that God loves us. How do we know that? For Christ died for us. And then John writes and says, God is love. He doesn't say God has love. He doesn't say God has love unlimited. He says, he says God is love. Love is personified in the person of God. He is love. John knew the extent of God's love for him. And that's why for him, he saw himself through God's eyes, through Jesus' eyes, and he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. If you could only catch that, you know, it would transform your life. Because I said last Sunday, that revelation of God's love for us is going to revolutionize our life in such powerful and dynamic ways. And I also said last Sunday, for the sake of those who were not here last Sunday, I said about six years ago, you know, this, this idea of God's loving me as never as I've never seen it that way before. I, I, I knew it up here, but I didn't really understand it down here. And until I understood down here how much God loves me, it revolutionized the way I preach, the way I live my life, the way I handle crisis, the way I relate to people and things and the ministry. You know, every facet of my life was transformed because I realized how much God loves me. Now, trading on that same idea that has how much God loves us 
and initiates the relationship and communion that we now enjoy. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of a seeking God, a God who seeks us out. Now, if you take a concordance, what is a concordance, by the way? It's not an accordion, it's a concordance, all right? Uh, a concordance is a tool, whereby a Bible tool, whereby if you are searching out a verse, a word, for example, you know this verse, uh, something like, uh, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Where is it found in the Bible? You know, and you cannot be having all the time to look through Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, you know, and you won't have time to read all of that, but you know, it's somewhere in the gospel. And so what you do is you take a concordance, whether it's a hard copy or a software, and then you type the word seek or save or came, or the Son of Man. And once you type it in, it gives you all of the verses on that one particular word. And so if you take a concordance, and then you search this word called seek, this word seek, S-E-E-K, and you'll be amazed that you will come up with scores, you know, uh, so many scripture words on the word seek. And every scripture word that you read as it relates to the word seek has to do with man's effort to seek God or God's challenge to us to seek Him. And that's why we have the scripture verse, you know, you, you, if you seek, you say, you shall seek me and you shall find me if you seek me with all of your heart. That's found in Jeremiah chapter 29, 13. God says, you know, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. By the way, there is Jeremiah 29, 13, but we are more familiar with Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you or destroy you, but plans to give you a hope and a future. And then verse 12 says, Then, you know, you will seek me, you will come to me and pray to me, and I will answer you. And then verse 13 says, You shall seek me and find me, you know, when you seek me and find me with all of your heart. And every time I read that passage of Scripture, when we, God will be found when we seek Him with all of our heart, I realize a number of things. The one is that, you know, God doesn't want us to seek Him half-heartedly. He wants to seek want us to seek Him with all of our heart, unreservedly. As the King James Version says, an undivided heart, full on for God, not half-hearted. Not God, if you want to, if you can, if you think you want to, you go ahead. No, but we say we want it, God, and we go after God, you know, seeking, knocking, asking, so that we may find God. Seeking God with all of our heart. So no half-heartedness in terms of our communion and our relationship and our pursuit for God. But I also know that God is not hard to find. Sometimes they seek God with all our heart as though like God is so hard to find. So you, you must put in extra effort, more effort, add some more effort, some more effort, then you can find God. You know, I think it was my grandchild, Declan, that when we first taught him the game of hide and seek, it could be him or someone else, I can't remember. You know, hide and seek. So there is a seeker and there are people who are hiding the game of hide and seek. All right? Some of you do not know what it is because you play computer games only. Welcome to the real world. You know, and so the person who's going to seek has to close his eyes and then count to 10. And then within the 10 counts, every, the rest of the team has to go and hide. All right, go and hide. And so when we told this little boy about this game and introduced him, introduced him to hide and seek, 
So we said the person supposed to go and seek, the finder, has to close his eyes, and then all of you will have to go and hide. And one of the little boys also closed his eyes. We said, you're not supposed to close your eyes. He thought if he closes his eyes, he can't see anybody, he can't see anything, and therefore nobody can also see him. So he said, no, it's not how it works. You must go and hide, and you must make it very difficult for the person to find you. So when I was a teenager growing up, I played hide and seek in a more advanced level. All right? We played it in the open field in the sense of, you know, the undergrowth. So we take a stick, and the person who can throw the stick furthest will be the one who throws. All right? And we throw it real far and into the bushes. And once the moment we throw, one of the moment the, the, the stick lands, the person supposed to be a seeker will run and get the stick. And only when he gets the stick can he start finding. All right? And during the short time, from the time he throws the stick till he lands and the time he gets the stick, every one of us will hide. And it is not just in buildings, it is in the undergrowth. All right? That's how we play in the hide and seek. And sometimes, you no, know, when we see him coming, we just jump. You know, just jump into the undergrowth. And, and when I think back, it's such a dangerous game. What if there was a, a, a sharp metal sticking out? We would just be pierced to death. But those days, we not only think we won't fall asleep, we think we can't even die. At least when we were young and foolish. All right? But the whole idea of hide and seek is to make it difficult for the person to find you. But you know what? God does not make it difficult for us to find Him. Not only does it not make it difficult for us to find Him, He actually initiates that relationship. He initiates it. In this communion, in this, in this relationship, He is the initiator. He initiates those relationships. He initiates it by, uh, 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 I think, like I said, the greatest uh, scripture verse on that is, Jesus says, I come to seek and to save that which is lost. All right? And then he initiates it in creation and in redemption. He initiates this seeking us out in creation and redemption. See, when God has finished creating everything after the fifth day, on the sixth day, he created man in the likeness, in his likeness, and in his image. Why did God create man? No, God created man differently. When he created the world, when he called this world into existence, when he created the, 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 the uh, uh, um, vegetable life, or vegetation, vegetation, the fauna and the flora, whatever it is, no, he created it, but they were just created. But only when he created man, he says, I created him in my own likeness and image. And every morning, since God created Adam and Eve, he came down, had communion with them. Right? And he initiated this whole idea of communion by creating man. He did not have to create, it, create man. In fact, why did God create man? You think he was lonely? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think that God is ever lonely. At least there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three in one. He created us for communion. And you know what? When men sin against God, 
God came seeking for Adam. Adam knew when he sinned against God, the realization of him doing wrong, you know, hit him. No one told him anything, but it's just conscience deep within us, knowing that it is wrong. And Adam hid himself. We always go into hiding. We are always brave at the point of temptation, but we are just cowards after we have committed, you know, that sin, the sin. And it's then that we begin to hide. We are afraid. We are never afraid to break the law. We are only afraid to be caught. Isn't that true in life? And so Adam hid from God. And God came seeking for Adam. I love that. He says, Adam, Adam, where are you? As usual, God came down the cool of the garden and says, Adam, where are you? Even in sin, God was seeking Adam out. You see, if it's just for communion, if God was lonely, God would have started all over again and just got rid of Adam and start with another new pair. I don't know about you, every time when I do something, sometimes I write a letter, you know, uh, I, I, it's no longer now these days because when I used to write a letter on, on an actual piece of paper and use my handwriting, you know, sometimes I just look at my handwriting, I get so frustrated with my handwriting, I try to write nice, I cannot write nice, and I end up writing halfway, I crumble the paper and throw it away. I always said, if not for the call of God, I would have been a doctor. <laughs> but these days, it's on a computer, so you actually can correct and you know, edit, and then you print it out. See, God does not, did not start with a new couple. It shows us how much God loves us. He does not give up on us even in the worst of our moments. When we mess up, God seeks us out, finds us, and dresses us up. And that's what God did for Adam. You know, He clothed him with leaves, the fig leaves. Alright? When we mess up, God dresses us up. Bring the best cloak and put it onto the prodigal son. It's always that way. God is seeking us out. In creation, as well as in redemption. Come to think of it, the Bible says, you know, while we were yet sinners, what? Complete it. Christ died for us. While we're still in our sin, Christ died for us. Simply meaning, you know, even before we can think of Jesus, think of God, God thought of us. And it's no wonder that Jesus says, you have not so much chosen me, but I have chosen you. It is because God started seeking us out first. See, in our, dread, in our depravity of sin, in our sinfulness, you know, since degradation has taken over that we cannot seek for God. We are so far away from God. But it's because of the love of God. He sends someone. He sent different ones to pray for us. He's constantly seeking for us. Even before we gave a thought to Him, He thought of us and died for us. No, He's constantly seeking us out. This is the God that we serve. A God who is constantly seeking us. A God who is always reaching out to us in some very powerful way. And this is why it's not uncommon to hear comments from people, including some Christians, saying, why must we evangelize? 
Why are Christians so aggressive in evangelism and reaching out to irreligious people? Why are we so full on in our evangelistic efforts? Why are we doing that? Simply because, you no, know, seeking and reaching out is in the DNA of Christianity. God, our God, Heavenly Father, our God is a missionary God. When man took the first step on planet moon, on, 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 on the moon, you know, it was Armstrong, the astronaut who says, one small step for mankind, one, sorry, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. In the 60s, that happened. But Jesus did it differently. When he came down from heaven, it was one giant leap from heaven. He left the splendors of heaven. You know, he turned his back on everything that was going on in heaven and he came down to earth in the likeness of human form, but in sinless humanity, God in an embryo, born of the Virgin Mary, and he lived his life for some 30 plus years and then died on the cross. It was one giant leap because man in his effort could not reach God. So that in that one giant leap, we can take small steps towards God. Small step towards God. Today, you would turn on the to the Astro Channel Natu National Geography, Geogra uh, National Geography. Uh, you will see this 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 uh, a program or this series called uh, Creation, okay? God and Creation. Uh, and one of the chief uh, the, the cast uh, main cast is Morgan Freeman. He travels the length and breadth of planet Earth basically to find out the different cultures and what they believe, how they, 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 they comprehend God. Uh, it talks about sin, it talks about uh, God, it talks about good and evil. You know? And when I mean, you look at it and you watch the program, it's always you know, man trying to seek God. That was produced in 2016. Now showing on our Astro now. Astro always repeats. Okay? Uh, and, and it's showing it right now. And it's always man's quest for God. But in Christianity, it is not just man's quest for God. It's God reaching down and seeking man out. No wonder Jesus says, you know, that I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. On Friday night, we had a combined cell meeting. And in this combined cell meeting on Friday night, before we went and broke up to our different zones for fellowship, we came together to sing some songs and to be encouraged and challenged by the Word of God and was brought to us by this pastor called Mike. I can't remember his full name, but I call him Gucci. Mike Gucci. <laughs> All right, but he's got a, his last name is something different or something. I can't remember. But, you know, it was amazing. I want to show you a photograph of how many people were there. Oh, look at that. Actually, I got a better photograph than that. Oh, that's right. You know, it was just as many, if not more, than this second service. Definitely more than the first service. These are the people who attend cell. Can you imagine that? Come on, just cheer. Come on. And let me say this to you. You have not plugged into a cell just yet. I want you to plug into a, yourself into a cell. Because you will never know how important, how needful you, you, it is to belong to a cell until you face a crisis. Don't wait till then, you know. This is your family. We are big enough to celebrate, small enough to care. And in that message, 
a short video sermon of 20-odd minutes. Pastor Mike actually, you know, uh, referenced to a time when he was away from church, and his assistant by the name of Pastor Andy took over and preached for a few weeks. And when he came back, he heard so many commendations and comments and, 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 and good reports about how Pastor Andy preaches so well. And they said he's his fa- their favourite. You know? And then he got a little bit uptight and a bit upset. And he says, hey, who's the most important person in this church? He asked the church, church members and asked the leaders. Who's the most important person in this church? And I was listening to it. Oh my God, I freeze. Don't tell me he's going to say I, you know. Then some spiritual person with word of wisdom, he says, God. And so he cooled down a bit and says, yes, that's right. But who else is the most important person in this, in church? And he gave us the answer, you know, that brought such a sigh, sigh, a sigh of relief upon my heart. He says, the person that is not here. Simply meaning the person out there. That's the most important person. Unlike a club that exists for its members, a church does not exist for its members, but we exist for its non-members. We've got work to do. Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save that which is Lord. We've got a seeking God who is a missionary God, an evangelistic God. And no wonder you know, we are evangelists. If you're asking, why are we so full on in evangelism? Simply because that's the nature of our God, nature of Christianity. That's our DNA. And our team says, it's going and growing. We need to go. We need to bring that one lost sheep. Jesus says, if you've got a man, got a hundred sheep, and one has gone astray, one is lost, would he not leave the 99 behind, and go find that one lost sheep. I do not know about you. In a life conversation with you, those of you who have uh, 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 connected with me uh, in many different uh, times and uh, seasons, you know that I don't ask too many questions. I'm not one who asks why, 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 why this, why that. I don't quite ask a lot of whys. But when I'm alone, reading the scripture, I ask a lot of whys. In my quiet time with God, I ask a lot of whys. I said, God, why leave the 99 and go and find that one lost sheep? I mean, that one lost sheep is important, but isn't this 99 just as important? Why are you abandoning 99 to look for that one lost sheep? And you know what? If you look at the 99, can you imagine a 99 sheep watching, Jesus, watching, the, watching the shepherd, leaving them and going out to look for that one lost sheep? You know what? The 99 will say, they say two things. One is, that must be his favorite. Huh? Two is, this is even better. We know for sure that if he does that for that one lost sheep, he would do it for any one of us. God will do that for you. He finds you out, he seeks you out. You know, this is the kind of God that we have. A God who seeks us out. He doesn't wait there and say, you deserve it, serve you right. You know, suffer some more. Hmm. Learn your lesson. Then you come back to me. No, no. He waits with open arms. Even when we mess up, God seeks us out. This is the kind of God we have. In our remaining moments, 
I want to direct your attention to Genesis chapter 16, verse 6 to 14. It says, your servant is in your hands, Abraham said. And she, he was replying uh, to the complaints of Sarah, his wife, regards to Hagar, the maidservant. And so Abraham says, do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Now the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? God always asks questions. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase the descendants and they will be as numerous, too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in, a, in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. And she called the Lord, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the God who sees me. And that's why in that place was called Beer Lahai Roy. It's still there between Kadesh and Barrett. The background to this story was that God made a promise to Abraham and Sarah that they are going to have a child, a promised seed. This couple was barren for many years, but never got a child until God gave a promise and they were hopeful. But the hope turned to dismay when after some 25 years, almost 20 odd years, they didn't, still didn't get a child. And so they decided to help God. How many of you know when God makes a promise to you that it takes time for the promise to come to pass? Some of you, you know, you receive a prophetic word and then you think, oh, that's it. Everything will change tomorrow. Not so. Sometimes the bigger the dreams, the longer the incubation period. It takes one woman, how many months to birth a child into this world? Hello? Nine months. Nine women cannot do it in one month. There's such a thing as incubation period. You just cannot speed things up. The bigger the dream, the longer the incubation period. It takes about 20 to 22 months before an elephant at conception be birthed into this world. So bigger the dream, the longer the incubation period. You cannot turn the heat up in baking a cake to let it cook faster so you can serve it out faster. You will only spoil it. And so you need to wait. And so Abraham waited for 25 years. But no, impatience got the better of them. They decided to help God out. And so one day the conversation came and Sarah said to Abraham, Abraham, I think, you know what? I do not know about you. I cannot really. Maybe you can still. So why don't you take my maid, Hagar, sleep with her and raise you know, a seed through her? What do you think, Abraham? You know what Abraham said? No la. So Abraham slept with Hagar and she conceived immediately. 
And when Hagar was pregnant, you go back and read Genesis 16, or even before that, Hagar began to treat Sarai with contempt. There was disrespect, there was arrogance. Someone says the human species, the only species that when you pat him in the back, he swells up in the head. You know, and so she became very big-headed and she was just floating around and she began to make fun of Sarai. Maybe called her name, you barren lady or this. No, she just made fun of Sarah. And so Sarah couldn't take it anymore, runs to Abraham and says, Abraham, Abraham, it's all your faults. You heard that before? All your fault. And then Abraham says to Sarah, before you gave her to me, she was your maidservant. After you gave her to me, and after she's pregnant, she's still your maidservant. Do as you like. Don't trouble me. And that's the worst thing men can do. When you abdicate responsibility and do not want to make hard decisions in life, you don't want to be the bad guy, so to speak. Anything? Go ask your mother. Some familiar, isn't it? Last Sunday we had that. Go ask your mother. And that's the worst thing that can happen. And so Abraham said to Sarah, do as you please. And you know what? Sarah made it hell. Those days, women just cannot do anything they want as they please. They must get permission from the man. Today, I don't know. Lah. Today, I think opposite also happens. You know? So she made it hell for Hagar, and Hagar could not take it anymore. She left. Whether on her own choice or chased out by Hagar, she now, pregnant with child, is in the wilderness. She is a slave, maybe bought from another country, we do not know. She got no relatives. She don't know where she's going. All she knows is she has come from there and leaving that place of hell and going towards I don't know where. And it was then the Bible says, the angel of God found her by a well. I love that. I love that. When I read that, I say, oh my goodness, when we are lost and confused and, and disorientated, you know, uh, desperate, God finds us. The angel of the Lord found her. It tells us of a seeking God who seeks us out. I don't know what went through the mind of Hagar. Maybe there was self-pity, there was anger, there was so many things going on. But God found her and God asked a question. Just like when God asked Adam, Adam, where are you? You think God bodo? Uh? He doesn't know where Adam is. Uh? Huh? See, God asked questions not to seek for information. God asked questions so that we can come to a realization of where we are. Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I'm hiding behind this tree. Why, why are you hiding? He says, I'm naked. Really, God says? I mean, since I created you, you were naked. Every day I came down, you were also naked. But today I come down, you're still naked, but you're hiding. Why are you hiding? Have you taken the fruit that you're not? Oh, see, brought Adam to a realization. We always are brave at the point of temptation. We are willing to do anything because we are not thinking right. But the moment we sin, guilt takes over and we are shameful. The problem with humanity is not that we are not afraid to break the law 
We are not afraid to break the law, but we are afraid to be caught. And here God says, Adam, where are you? Hagar, where, are you, where have you come from? And where are you going? Two questions. Where am I going? I do not know. Where I came from, I know. I came from this place called Abraham and Sarah's household. Why are you here? They made it hell for me, especially that woman. <laughs> I don't even name him. That woman, her. No, that woman. And you know what? God has a deal, not with Sarah, who mistreated Hagar, but God has a deal with Hagar. See, so often, the change starts with us. The man in the mirror, Michael Jackson's song. Man in the mirror. So often, you know, when we are going through difficult times and with difficult people, we say, we pray, God change that person. God strike him dead. God do this to, God deal with him. But so often, the change comes with us, not with the other person. Remember that. And you know what? God said to Sarah, uh, Hagar, now, Hagar, you go back and submit yourself to Sarah. And we don't even read a single thing in that passage about God dealing with Sarah's attitude. But God dealt with Hagar. You go back and submit. See, when we are lost, God finds us. When we are disobedient, God corrects us. And said, you go back and submit. And then, not a single thing has changed back there, but what has changed is there's a shift in the atmosphere. There's a shift deep within Hagar's life simply because she had met with this God. And she calls that place Beer Lahoy Roy because it says, I now see the God who sees me. If I can give you one thing in life, I would give you the ability to see yourself through my eyes, for only then will you know how much and how special you are to me. And then, at that point, Hagar saw herself through the eyes of God. She said, I now see the God who sees me. And while her mindset was survival, God was charting out a future. He says, that son, that boy, that baby that you're carrying will be a boy. His name is Ishmael. He and God gave the future, the destiny of this child. And he said, a great nation will come out from Ishmael. And so very often, while our mindset is just survival, God charts our future. He knows the plans we have. He has for us. Plans not to, pros, not, not to harm us, not to destroy us, but plans to give us a hope and a future. And that's the kind of God we have. A God who is always seeking out for us. If I could give you one thing in life, I would give you the ability to see yourself through my eyes. Only then would you realize how special you are to me. And friends, last Sunday's message, this Sunday's message, you know, I trust that you will see yourself through God's eyes. Don't see yourself through your wife's eyes, nor your husband's eyes, or your children's eyes, or your parents' eyes. You know, see yourself through God's eyes. And you'll be amazed. As you look at a man, the woman in the mirror, God wants to do some powerful things in your life. This is the scripture that I woke up this morning as I was praying for this service. 
you know, all of a sudden, Scripture came to me. He brought me to the banqueting table. He brought me to His house, to the banqueting table, and His banner over me is love. That's found in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4, a love story between a man and his beloved. And this person says, He brought me to His house. He brought me to His banqueting table. God always seeks us out. He brings us to a place. You know, He brings us to a situation. He always brings us, always invites us in. Come to me, all you who labor and have heavy burden, and I will give you rest. That's the invitation of God. That's a God who's always seeking us out. And then it says, His banner over me is love. I used to wonder, what in the world is His banner over me is love? What does that even mean? I look up all of the translation, I still read, His banner over me is love. I read, you know, commentaries. What does it mean, His banner over to me? They never say anything. They just keep it across. And this morning as I was praying, you know, a revelation came to me just like that. I said, what does it mean, a banner? What's a banner? And then all my mind, all of a sudden, my mind, you know, was linked to our Christmas or Easter musical. We have buntings, we have banners, advertising, you know, you know what we say, proudly brought to you and presented by Agape Community Church. We are proud to present to you. We associate, you know, our Easter musical with ourselves. This is something that's a highlight, you know. This is something we are give to our community and we are just proud, you know, to introduce, you know, we, we, we rev and we, 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 we celebrate and we boast about our Easter musical, so to speak. Likewise, when God invites us to a banqueting table, He puts a banner over us and He says, Love. And this is how much God loves you and me. His banner over us is love, a seeking God. Aren't you, aren't you glad that we have God who loves us like crazy, who seeks us out, who is not hard to find. He knows it takes one giant leap so and takes small little steps towards it. What is that one small or two small little steps that you need to take towards God this morning? He has taken a giant leap. He is a God who seeks us and finds us out. And friend, we must respond to His seeking, to His love, because... He loves us like crazy. So stand with me to your feet, won't you? We want to take these closing moments just to allow God to speak to us further. You know what, church? It's one thing to know the Scriptures in our head. Another thing to experience it down here in our heart. Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Knowing the truth is not just knowing Knowing the truth is like a husband and wife. You know, the Hebrew word is yada, where two becomes one. Two become one. You no, know, one flesh, the two shall become one. And the same way this knowing the truth is that this truth is not something from the Bible or something that we pull out from the Ten Commandments. This truth becomes one with us. We shall know. It becomes part of us. And when it becomes part of us, you know, we shall be set free. Change will come about. God will do a wonderful work in our hearts and in life. And I pray, friends, I trust that, you know, as we preach God's word to different pastors and guest speakers that come, you know, you who listen to God's word, for me, 
my worship this morning is to preach God's word. Besides giving an offering, besides giving my missions pledge, besides giving my tithes, my worship this morning is to preach God's word. And that's my worship to God. Your worship to God is to respond to God's word. I say, God, God, how can this word, what does this word say to me? How can I personalize it? So this word, Logos word, can become a Rema word in my life. That revelation of the truth that God seeks us and loves us like crazy is going to revolutionize 